Hi, my name is Adam Sincati. Welcome back to the Healthcare High Wire podcast. And thank all of our listeners for joining again as we kick off this new Healthcare High Wire season. Today's podcast, Living with Alzheimer's, a Life Care Services Experience, is a conversation exploring the daily life and rewards for the caregivers who deliver the right resident and life experiences. I would like to introduce today's panelists. With 40 years industry experience, including owning and operating communities, and now overseeing the LCS Health Services Division, Vice President and Director of Post-Acute Care Services, Blake Gilman. The leader of the LCS Heartfelt Connections Program, and a clinical expert on Alzheimer's and dementia care, Vice President and Director of Health Services, Sharon McGuire. Clarendale of Algonquin's Executive Director found balance and true happiness when he combined successful relationship building with hospitality and senior living, Peter Franken. The Director of Life Enrichment and Memory Care at Clarendale of Algonquin though most residents call her Director of Fun, Cammie Toby. And hosting today, starting with LCS in operations 36 years ago and serving as the President and CEO for the past four and a half years, please welcome Joel Nelson. Thanks, Adam. Thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Highwire. We have unlimited resources, experience in the daily lives of the seniors that we serve that will be joining us with these experts telling the story. Today's conversation is really going to be about where the rubber hits the road as each one of these individuals plays part in the daily lives of those who have Alzheimer's living in the LCS-owned and managed communities. As you will experience, the passion of these professionals who every day look for ways to improve the quality of life for not only the residents, but their family members and their loved ones in the communities. So I couldn't be more excited to moderate this session and listen to the stories and the expertise and the experiences that these individuals share with you. It will shine a different light from what we hear. Alzheimer's is tough. It is tough to deal with as a family member. It is tough to deal with as a caregiver. But we approach each and every day, each and every hour of the day, as a fresh moment to touch the lives of the seniors we serve. So I want to start the conversation today with Blake Gilman, who heads up our health services division, as you heard in the intro 40 years of experience. Blake, I'd like you to lay some foundation, just some framework and offering the context to the big picture. Where does memory care fit into the life cycle of the continuum of care, as we like to call it? And how does all of this work when you have people living in communities that are going to the golf course or going to the theaters or going to dining rooms and having all kinds of activities, and then you walk down the hall and we see heartfelt connections in action. Give us some perspective, Blake. Thanks, Joel. I think about these communities that we own and manage and the residents that live there. Let's think about for just a minute how people select the communities and what their values are when they move in. 
When they first move in, of course, they go to an independent living typically, and they live very healthy lives there for as long as they possibly can. But throughout the continuum of care, we provide options, and I call them ancillary health services, to independent living, which is really as people age in place and they have health conditions and they're living in our communities, they have a number of options. Those options would include assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing, other services they may need while they're living in the community. And so when you think about how memory care fits into that continuum, it's a level of care, if you will, or an ancillary to independent living that supplements that quality of life. So rather than moving to another location outside the community, they may have a spouse living with them independently. They can just move to a different level of care within the campus and receive the services that they need, thus enjoying the quality of life that they intended to receive when they moved into the community in the first place. Yeah, very helpful. And it also allows, Blake, the loved one that lives down the hall in the independent living or another level of the continuum to uh, have frequent contact and can be in and out with their loved one or have a meal or participate in activity, which is really one of the benefits of living in a full continuum of care community. But Blake, I know we work closely with multiple medical institutions and gerontologists all over the, the country, really. What is the one thing that you think we can do better as a society, not within LCS, but as a society to prevent or at least delay this disease? Because it's just devastating once it hits. Yeah, of course, there's always research and research dollars that are constantly needed to chase down what is actually causing Alzheimer's. One of the most fascinating things that I see is that there's been extensive research on when does Alzheimer's actually begin in comparison to when it's actually detected. And the research goes back to as many as 15 years in advance of any actual clinical signs that a resident may display. We see changes starting to occur in someone's brain up to that 15-year period. So when you think about that question, Joel, we think about people living in communities or living in society in general really going undetected as a potential Alzheimer's or memory care challenged person or resident way in advance of when they think they might need these services. So I think early detection, in my opinion, is one of the most important and critical aspects. We know it relates to some genetic mapping, of course, with some family members being more susceptible to getting Alzheimer's based on their genetic makeup. But I think as long as we can pay attention, we're going to be in a much better place in fighting this disease. Yeah, that plays very well to yesterday. We heard in our June speaker series that LCS is sponsoring as part of Awareness Month here that we heard from Mike. And Mike is a 67-year-old who has been diagnosed, but he stressed multiple times in that interview, you can never catch it early enough. And the early detection and his findings being bold, going and finding out, because there were some indications, I should say, that Mike was experiencing. And lo and behold, he had Alzheimer's. And that was several years ago. And today, he he remains the CEO of his organization. So early detection, and that's certainly one of our clear pillars. But as we talk about our residents and the families that choose an LCS community, or for that matter, a senior living community that's close to their home or wherever, 
you mentioned the continuum. So we have independent living units and those residents are very, very active. And and then even our assisted living residents, and I know Cami and Peter will talk a little bit about this and their experience at Algonquin with those levels of care. But is it possible with that early detection to be able to remain in the independent or assisted or you know the 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 stigma of oh once I've been diagnosed I I'm gonna get I'm gonna get sent to that memory care unit. Uh, talk a little bit about you know the social benefits maybe of the assisted living and independent living that prevents or at least extends the period before one might need or may never need the memory care unit. Yeah, that's a great question and observation, and we we get that a lot, particularly from families trying to make decisions with their loved ones and how that all plays into that full continuum of care that we just talked about. But one of the advantages of a life plan community, and you, you hit it on the head, Joel, with your comment around people moving within the community as a community, and that's why they're called life plan communities, in being able to manage those levels of care and, and health conditions at any level. And I think the current research is that as we allow people to live where they want to live for as long as they possibly can, they remain much healthier and happier and require much less attention and care. So kind of letting people thrive if they want to live in independent living with their spouse, we want them to do that as long as possible. If they need some assistance with activities of daily living, we're thrilled to come in and be able to provide those, whether it's independently in an independent living apartment or assisted living, or maybe even to the point where they have severe memory conditions and and Alzheimer's itself and require a a memory neighborhood of sorts where they can live there effectively. But I think as we look at how healthcare gets delivered, one of the most powerful aspects is where do people want to live? Where will they be the most happy? And where will they get the most support? And the really great thing about our communities is we provide all of those in a meaningful way. So I really see that being the, the wave of the future. And as long as we're attentive to those needs, I think everyone, including family members and residents themselves, will be extremely thrilled with the quality of life that we deliver. Yeah, great perspectives, Blake. And and later, Cami and Peter will talk to us about those, as you mentioned, life plan communities. But being able to have choice for independent assistance also happens in our rental communities. And so the good news of all of this is there are new choices and new living environments being created every day out there for the future seniors. And Algonquin's a great testimony to that that we'll, we'll hear about the Clarendale in a bit. Blake, thank you for all that you do. It's just crazy 40 years of experience in, in serving seniors. You know, I don't even think we were diagnosing Alzheimer's and knew what it was. We had dementia and confusion, et cetera, back 30 years ago when you and I started in this business. So thank you for all of, of your continued leadership. And, and I may come back to you with a couple more questions. But Sharon, let's start to dig into the details. You're out in these communities every week, every day. And let's talk about the programming. When we talk about living environments and really creating what's the right environment for the resident and, and their progression of life, and Blake touched on the continuum of care, but talk about the programming, the programming specific to the change of what is different from being over in the memory care, from the assisted living or the independent in terms of just daily life programming, if you will. Sure, happy to do so. 
you know, we think of folks living with dementia and our job is to meet them at their point of need. And so regardless of where they're residing, we hope that we offer programs that stimulate what remains and celebrates also their life journey, right? I think one of the powerful things I heard our speaker on our National Alzheimer's Speaker Series chat about was that he wants to still be involved and engaged. And I think all people have that desire. So our programming focuses on that. Again, no matter where you're living, one of our powerful statements in our Heartfelt Connections platform is just that. We focus on what remains. And so how do you do that? You can do that very well, again, regardless of where that individual resides. And frankly, not only does the individual appreciate that, but so does the family member and the staff person too. So let's think about that. There's some really creative programs I've seen out in our communities. One of my favorite ones is called a life story book. And it's not so much a program, but it's really fundamental to that person-centered care approach. So the concept of, I use Hazel as a pretend resident. What is the hazelness of Hazel? And how do we really get to know Hazel as more than her disease, more than her medications, more than her functional limitations? And so we take time and effort to work with the resident and the family to create these life storybooks that tells us about them as a person. And so you might think, well, that's lovely, but what does that mean? Well, that means when we're thinking of how to create programs at the community, we can create programs that make sense to them and really touch them at a a place of understanding and experience and purpose, right? Simple example I'll give is, you know, if we know that a resident was a dog lover and they were just crazy about dogs like I am their whole life, we take that knowledge and we may, like I'm guessing Cammie might do this, I'm not sure, but I know some of our communities do this. They may have a baking session that the residents and assisted living participate or memory care neighborhoods participate in. And their baking turns out to be baking of dog biscuits. And then those dog biscuits are wrapped in little cellophane bags and taken over to the local animal shelter. Now, how great is that in terms of being person-centered, being purposeful, and giving back to the community so that you're not just someone residing in a senior care environment with dementia You're Hazel, who loved dogs and still wants to give back and have a purposeful, meaningful life. And we focus on what remains, that you can do that. Another, Another favorite one, and I can go on, you can tell me to stop, but another one that I think is fantastic is this concept of creating a story. Now, it's different than a life story. This is where a trained facilitator using evidence-based research approaches that, frankly, were granted a MacArthur Award. And it's a program out of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee that's called Time Slips. And some of our communities are doing this, where a trained facilitator works with fairly cognitively compromised individuals to look at a picture and then make comments about this picture to create a story. And again, we focus on what remains. No contribution to what that picture represents is discarded or dismissed, but rather the facilitator takes these contributions to create a story about that picture. Then at the end of the session, the facilitator, who's usually one of our memory care directors or a life enrichment coordinator, reads the story back to the group. And they have such great feelings of purpose and confidence that they've done something, created this story. 
one community I know took examples of all of those stories and put them into a book. And then at the end of the year, gave those out to the families. And the families were absolutely blown away that their loved ones with dementia made these stories and created this book. And it was the most beautiful, heartwarming and touching thing. So again, I could go on and on, but those are some great examples of focusing on, you know, what remains and having a purposeful life. Yeah. And I think we heard that in the speaker series from the first one and the third one, those residents, they want to be engaged. They want to socialize and, and they feel like they're isolated if people know they have Alzheimer's and they're afraid and they don't know what to say, et cetera. And, and it depends certainly on the stage, but they, they certainly still want to be involved and have purpose, to your point. But Sharon, as you are out there and you attend national conferences and you see and have seen over the years some of the best of the best programs, and I always say those programs can be in the oldest and the smallest buildings and still be fantastic environments for those seniors. It could be a brand new state of the art with all of the technology and all the the whistles and bells and so forth. But as you think about the change in approach to service delivery, is it really changing in terms of, I'll use the word innovation, okay? And we all know technology is everywhere in healthcare. I mean, we can't review enough of them to figure out which ones. But can you talk to the audience today about any changes in environment or new technology that's out there? Dining is a big part of the life. Um, Pick one of those areas and share what you're seeing in terms of innovative new approaches to, to serving seniors. Absolutely. In many ways, everything old is new again. And so this important focus on person-centered care continues to be a highlight. But now we're doing that through more innovative approaches. So how so? The use of technology. Some of you maybe have seen these virtual glasses, these you know um, devices that you can put on over your eyes and strap around your head. And these virtual experiences are just mind-boggling. And what this does is it allows for residents, our folks living with dementia in our communities, to have this really interactive, very personalized experience, for example, maybe of travel. Maybe they've always enjoyed international travel, but they're no longer able to do that through the use of these you know, virtual experiences. You can really touch a part of their life and add to their life in a way we weren't able to do before. The other concept that I think it's, it's been around, but it's gaining more traction is the environment as a silent partner, right? And what does that mean? You know, we often think of creating a lovely space for folks to live, which is fantastic. But let's have a functional and purposeful space that contributes to, you know, quality of life and optimizes function and optimizes cognition through the use of very, you know, selective, interactive now, again, technology-based sometimes experiences. In addition, I think the whole movement toward your carbon footprint and more helpful ways to live in the environment is being considered as we build new communities with memory care neighborhoods. In this context, the concept of biophilia. Now, what on earth is biophilia? But this is the idea of bringing nature indoors. And so that we may have a wall comprised of greenery. And in fact, this idea that, you know, there's a sensory experience, both tactile as well as potentially, you know, with smell and certainly sight, visual. But this idea that, you know, we want to include nature and the therapeutic benefits of nature for 
people's you know peace of mind and well-being and frankly even their their overall health and wellness so those are a few things yeah. but technology yeah. my goodness i could spend a whole session on the various forms of technology that are being added to memory care neighborhoods. It's pretty amazing, actually. And and more to come yet to see if those really do make a difference. But yeah. it's certainly exciting to think about that in our memory care neighborhoods. Yeah, it, it sure is. I want to get to uh, Cami, the, the fun person on the panel today here. But one quick question, and, and it's an important one. Families, when they are dealt this card, and first I think I heard earlier, didn't even understand what to do and where to go, et cetera. But in brief, I'm a family member. I come to you, Sharon. You're a veteran nurse. You're a veteran caregiver. You've been there. You've seen it. What advice or words of wisdom would you give family members that get this news over the weekend? Yeah. Count to 100, 1,000 if needed. Take a deep breath. You're going to be okay. It's going to be a hard journey, but we're here to support you. And by that we, I mean the collective community of those that love and care for individuals living with dementia. Reach out, right? Do not battle this alone. It is a battle, but there are many high points. There are moments of joy. You may all of a sudden realize that mom or dad or your spouse is not the same person they were, but they are a person that has been a part of your life and your family for a long time. And again, focusing on what remains, but get ready, but we're here to support. So reach out. Yeah, great, great answer. And I know uh, every state and certainly the National Alzheimer's Association, there is educational hotlines out there to call and talk to um, specialists and experts and so forth. And, and uh, there is, there is a pathway and there's still very, as we've heard from both you and Blake, great quality of life. And, and uh, somebody who gets to enjoy that great quality of life every day is Cammie. And I think in the introductions, they called her the fun director. So Cammie, I want to, I want to shift to you and just go a little bit deeper, getting more into the day. You come to work every day and walk through those doors to the memory care community and, and really experience those residents and those family members that have entrusted you and Peter to care and serve their loved ones. And I think some on, on this, this podcast may see that as, wow, why would you ever want a job like that? My reaction is, and I've been on the day-to-day and I've been on the floor right alongside you, you know, it's probably one of the toughest jobs ever. And I know you see that differently because you're always smiling and you're always excited about what you're doing. So tell us why you do what you do and, and what the benefits are uh, for you personally as, a, as really a leading director in our communities. Well, thank you, Joel. It's really nice to be here. I think I have the absolute best job ever. I don't ever think it's tough. I think every day working with families and with residents is really what it's all about. We take for granted the knowledge that we have about senior living, and sometimes we forget that when we're talking to a family member and just putting the brakes on that and coming from, I'm here to support you and I'm here to help you understand, you know, and understanding that there are going to be these moments of joy that we see along the way and, you know, how we can still pull from that person and make them involved and engaged and give back. Like Sharon was talking about, I love when a new resident moves in because it just means we can add another program. Who were they? What did they love? What are they passionate about? 
because if we bring that to our programming, they can give back to the rest of the residents and they feel purposeful. So creating something here that is based all around the residents. It's all about that quality of life and getting them involved again. Yeah. Well, I say, uh, you know, Cami, you're, you're one of a kind, but the great beauty is, is uh, you know, this world, there's many committed leaders and, and program directors that are doing the same job that you're doing, getting up every morning, walking into that community and looking for the, the new, new experience. And I just, I commend you for what you do, but it's not only you, right? You have a whole team, as you mentioned there, and, and it takes a team. There's lots of people and different needs in, in the environments of our health, health connections. So what kind of person do you look for when recruiting to come to your community and join you and your team to work with somebody and to work specifically in our memory care unit? I always say you can't teach heart. Someone has to have heart and have passion with seniors, and you can see that right away. I also think a huge proponent of what we do here is that heartfelt connections. Like Blake said, it's my absolute favorite. I talk to families about it all the time, and just having the staff go through heartfelt connections, you can see a change in their understanding. One of my favorite things during heartfelt connections are module on communication. It's something that staff and families can struggle with. There's a difference. As human beings, we want to fix things for people. And sometimes you just need to stop and listen. And during Heartfelt Connections, our communication module, I have the staff make a peanut butter and jelly. They all get in the groups. And I make one person of the group a maker. So I have all the makers come out in the hallway with me. And I say, I want you to make this difficult. If they say, put the peanut butter on the bread, I want you to drop the jar of peanut butter on the bread because there's so many things that we don't think about and we take for granted that we do every day when we sequence. You know, you have to pick up the jar of peanut butter and twist off the cap and set it down and pick up the knife, scoop the peanut butter, set the jar down. We go back in and I tell everybody else it's a race, you know, because the staff will be here and they know I have to go shower this person. I have to get this person up and nonverbal cues come into play, especially with dementia, you know, so not giving off that rushed aspect. So all the other groups think it's a a race. So they're all trying to go really fast. And then they have this person who's not understanding how to make the peanut butter and jelly. My favorite is when I have staff and they get told, you know, flip it over, meaning put the bread onto the, you know, other side and they flip it right onto the table and get peanut butter all over the table. And the end result of that is talking about if someone's not understanding, can you peanut butter and jelly that? Can you break it down into smaller steps and make it successful for that person? And I think that's what it's really about is having a staff member that's, you know, going to take the time with somebody and be patient, and how can I make this successful? Because every person that lives in memory care is unique and different. No person is the same. You know, so how can I individualize that care for the person? Right, right. And I think you um, you stole a little bit of my thunder there, Cami. I was going to talk about communication, and I, and I think you just, you spelled it out. And, and it's regardless of our roles or what we do, it's the power of communication. And you, you think about even in at least in my household, uh, I communicate with my son differently than with my daughter. They seem to understand differently and and uh, interpret differently. So, 
you know, communication is the power and, and patience. Um, in my experience is just the patience that it, it takes from, because everything's no, everything doesn't go right uh, the, the first time. But as you're sitting there with the family, and it's been referenced this certainly this month on our speaker series, but there are a lot of misunderstandings, or I might just say lack of understanding about Alzheimer's and what it means and et cetera. And you interview and, and meet each and every one of the families that is considering where do I put mom and dad? It's time that, that they need a, a more secure environment, et cetera. What, what are some of the most common misunderstandings that you experience out there interacting with these families and residents each and every day? I think especially with families, it comes down to senior living itself. I mean, when I was 14 years old, I volunteered in a skilled nursing home and skilled nursing can be scary. And it was 20 years ago. And a lot of families have that same concept of that's what memory care is going to be. It's going to be scary. And I think breaking down those barriers and making them understand there's so much more that we've learned about dementia and there's so much more that we can help your loved one with. We can cue them. We can get them involved. It's my favorite success stories where we have someone who sits in their room and watches TV all day in assisted living and now they're in memory care and they're at every single program every single day. She would miss it for the world. It's so great to see that person open up given the right tools that they have in memory care, you know, the staff that's going to take the time with them and the programs that are going to let them come out of their shell and make them feel comfortable in participating and engaging again. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. Well, Cammie, I I have to tell you this on the podcast here and as the CEO of the organization with, you know, nearly 40,000 seniors, you might expect that I get a fair amount of mail and I get, good mail and sometimes not so good mail. And I've gotten several letters from the Clarendale of Algonquin's family members and talking about the experience they've had there with you and Peter and just want to recognize you as being one of the, really the nation's leaders and looking for the new and fresh approaches each and every day and how you can improve the, the quality of life for those not only that are living there, but work there. And uh, you do it. You just do a, a great job. I do have more questions for you, and I want to get back to it. But I want to get to the big guy, Peter Franken. Peter is the executive director at the Clarendale of Algonquin. And Peter, you have uh, thinking of daunting tasks. You get to manage the independent living, the assisted living, and the and the memory care, and certainly have great staff members like Cami. But I guess the first question is, Peter, how do you keep up with Cammie in, in the everyday race that she has? She uh, seems like the, the energy bunny there at, at the Clarendale. Her and I speak 12 times a day. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have, a, we have a, a running list of all the residents that we keep an eye on everyone. And actually, it's not just her. It's nursing, too. It's our memory care manager. We all get together. We have a mini roundtable every day. And it's, it's wonderful. We discuss everyone, things that are working, things that aren't. And I think Blake brought it up of, you know, keeping them in place, what's important and what's not. And Cammie's great with that. She might say this is happening now, but there's no reason to move her now. You yeah. know, we're not there yet. Let's talk to the family. And what Cammie has taught all of us is family involvement, friend involvement, and how important that is. Yeah. Um, 
Cammy Cammy trains us all, <laughs> but she's she's wonderful in educating us all, you yeah. know, and understanding that everybody's different and what their needs are. And I facilitate it. I make sure everybody gets whatever they they need, all the tools that they need. And Cammy Cammy believes in it because she's in my office ten times a day and and asking for this and that, and she gets it. So it works. It yeah. works. And um, I'm surprised you only got a few letters. She yeah. gets Cammy's gets a few letters weekly. <laughs> I, I so. suspect she does. Um, uh, and and uh, not all this morning. <laughs> yeah, I, that doesn't surprise me uh, a bit. And I, I was just kidding you because I know you uh, you you every day you're hopping and jumping and across the community of, you know, 200 plus lives of seniors with all of the staff and the residents, uh, families with with. Uh, but I think you touched on it and just reinforcing Cammy's point is the communication. You're all in sync, and which kind of leads me to a, a, a question, a little off course here, Peter, but we talk about navigation, and we have a phrase in our company, the healthcare navigator, and, and is listening to you talk about getting together as a group, et cetera. Can you talk about what, what does that mean, the healthcare navigator, and how does your team deploy the really navigation uh, through the journey of, of those residents' lives, regardless of what level of living they chosen for their current lifestyle. I'm glad you brought it up. I thought of it. I thought about the concept. And then Cammy says, yeah, we do that. And that was two years ago when I started. And I said, so let's navigate some people over. Let's talk about this. And that's what we discuss levels of care and, and how, how it's going. But obviously we get more involved. We get a memory care manager involved. We get the LPNs involved on the particular floors. We make sure they're charting properly. We make sure they're talking to the families about behaviors that are happening. And we get everyone involved. And we do hold roundtable meetings with the families often. They have a lot of questions. And they have a lot of concerns. And they're terrified. And we bring them back down. And we let them know we're here to support you. And everybody says they start crying. They said, thank you. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't know what to say. And we're very proactive. Cammy's extremely proactive. I make the calls, I get them in, Cammie and I sit down with them, and we, we request the QLS to join us, an LPN to join us, our RN, anyone in sales, anyone to join us, even a server from the kitchen. And we let them know how it's going, what we're seeing, what not to worry about, you know, what we have under control. And if we don't, then we have, it's time to move, it's time to move. And we explain why. And uh, they understand they, it's face-to-face helps. And a little round table of us helps tremendously. And it always works. It yeah. always works. The phone doesn't, the phone doesn't got to get them in and you got to get us around them. Yeah. And it, it always works. They just need yeah. a little understanding. Yeah. And I so, always used to uh, and still do say we, you know, we have uh, family care meetings or, or, or resident care meetings. And the, mm-hmm. the chair of the meeting is, is the family member. And really understanding, and they know what they want for their mother or father and or brother, sister, whoever it might be. But you do with your team such a, and it's it's been it's been highlighted here just in the last 10, 15 minutes. Uh, such a powerful job with communication, and you do small group, you do large group, you as you referenced, you invite family uh, families in for family night for communication, et cetera. But we know we can't win it on our own, right? You can never communicate enough and have clarity and education with all family members. That's hard to do with just within a single family mm-hmm. at, at a common understanding. So where do you direct the families to go for additional support or education maybe outside of the Clarendale of Algonquin? Where do you send them? Uh, I actually send them to Cami because we have a support group. We're the only authorized Alzheimer's Association support group in McHenry County. 
Okay. And um, not only do we have an evening program, but I think they want to bring a morning program here as well. And people, not residents and non-residents alike attend. And when you go to the Alzheimer's Association organization website, we come up. We're the only ones that come up. And so people flock here and, and listen to Cami and other guest speakers and whatnot from the Alzheimer's Association. Yeah. So a real good example, um, what you've chosen to do is take the expertise, certainly the experience of Cami yourself, but you've partnered mm-hmm. with the Alzheimer's Association, became mm-hmm. certified. So it's one and the same. So you really get the benefit of the expanded resources and education of not only the one in your county, but statewide and national. So I, I applaud you for reaching out, and, and I've just found them to be a, a great partner as well. This one might be, if we need to pop over to Cami uh, back on this one, This either one, but Peter, take a crack at it, and Cami, you can chime in here if you, if you like, but it's back to the community, and we talk about all the communication, but, but in my words, it's really meaningful relationships. We always say we are in the relationship business because we're bringing families and employees into our communities really to live their daily lives. Tell me what that means to you and what role, you know, maybe the community plays in that, but specifically as the executive director and you oversee all of the, you got a big piece of real estate there, the mm-hmm. the environment that plays into creating those relationships and, you know, why we have a special distinct unit that's targeted specifically for memory care. I've been doing this 25 years off and on, and I guess I'm going to reiterate what Cammie said earlier. You know, there, there were perceptions and misperceptions a long time ago, and we're educating people again, I feel, every day. And yeah. I think touring showing them, holding their hand, walking them back, letting them know what's going on, letting them see what's going on and be quiet and let them ask questions and let them observe and let them watch the training that has occurred here with the yeah. staff and how they interact with the family that's visiting, yeah. which has been great when they see that. They see all the families back there. They see them in, engaging with their family members that live here. And our staff is right there in the middle. And yeah. our staff is explaining to some, doing crafts with others. And it's, it's more of a watch and learn. Yeah. And yeah. That's, it's been the most effective is a watch and learn. And it's working for us. Yeah, that's, that's powerful, Peter. And then as reflecting back on a comment that Sharon made, says with family members and words of wisdom, but we're educating today as part of this podcast. As a family member, what questions should I ask on that tour? What come to mind? If you're, if you're going to go tour for your mother or father, what are the top two or three questions that you're going to want to make sure that you really understand as you're making the tour of that community? Questions, honestly, they ask us uh, safe and sound. How do you keep my mother safe? And we, we go through that. that. That's very important. We go through what activities are you going to do? Do you go on outings? You know, and uh, of course, my big thing is stability of staff. And I promote it heavily. I'm the newest employee at two and a quarter years. And most of the QLS and LPN staff have been here four or more. And mm-hmm. I push the stability of staff. I mm-hmm. push their years of education, you know, yeah. and training. And, yeah. um, and that helps tremendously. And then obviously the 86 activities a week that Cami's crew does doesn't hurt. And yeah. our, our, our popular outings, our outings, yeah. sorry. Yeah, all of it plays a role. Peter, one last question. And then I want to pop back up to Cami and, and ask her a follow-up question that I didn't ask. But... 
You're the executive director. You've got overall responsibility of the entire community. But mm-hmm. let's just play a what-if game here. What if the Clarendel of Algonquin, we wouldn't have included memory care? You know, we, we were the d- developer and, and uh, with our partners and owned Clarendel of, of Algonquin. And what if we didn't have memory care there? How would it impact the operations of the Clarendale, the overall environment, certainly the occupancy, even in the independent and assisted living? Any reaction? Boy, um, where do you, uh, boy, yeah, I would have asked what went wrong. And we have a few acres over there. Let's purchase that land. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, if we didn't understand the benefits, I would have explained the benefits. And um, I would also have a relationship with someone local, you know, someone that has been trained in, in dementia and Alzheimer's, how to recognize and, you know, how to work with these people on a daily basis. I'd, I'd be looking for acreage and looking for someone to build some, a memory care unit. You know, I think it's, personally, I think it's foolish not to have one. And I know they build uh, memory care units, obviously, by themselves nowadays. And uh, I just think having uh, independent living and assisted living works out well, because we can, uh, people are moving in here for a reason. They can get an apartment down the block if they thought they just needed an apartment. They're not stupid. They're coming here because they know eventually at one point they're going to need us, yeah. you know, and they know that. And we have everything to offer and they have no reason to leave. And they, and they get to leave. They get to um, get to know the crew in the dining room. They get to know the staff, even the independent living residents. We do activities with them and they get to see everybody. And one day they're going to get to know those nurses a little bit better and the yeah. staff a little bit better. But at least they have that friendship going at the beginning. And I think that's what they move here for. They want yeah. to know who's here. And when they get a tour of memory care, because Cammy invites them back for all the sorts of activities, they're like, well, hell, that's not so bad. That's great. You know, yeah. and then they tell everybody else. Next yeah. thing you know, we have a bunch of people back in memory care and the memory care folks going, who are all these folks? You know, but it's all win-win. It's win-win for everybody. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. And it falls into certainly our philosophy here at LCS, the power of the continuum of care, because let's face it, we don't. We don't do what we, any of us on this call, what we used to do in our lifestyles when we were in the 20s, other than maybe Cammie mm-hmm. still has that <laughs> skip in her uh, step. So, Cammie, I want to come back to you, if I could, just as we near wrapping up this session, and it's, it's provides some really good context and information, but how do you measure the quality of your memory care program? How do you know it's the best as the director? I really think it comes back to the residents and the families. That's what we're here is to be able to support them. You know, having independent assisted memory care, we have spouses that are in independent and their loved ones in memory care. And knowing that their loved one is safe and sound and engaged in activities, you know, that family component is huge because that's what we want for all of our loved ones is for them to be involved and be part of something still you know the disease doesn't destroy who the person is so how can we bring it back to them yep and i know the clarendale vagonquin has had very very high resident engagement scores to your point going back to the resident family and another way stated uh having toured your community multiple times is you really uh foster your day around the resident and the families the day, just like we, we kind of live our lives at home or wherever that might be. So my compliments to you on the focus being on the resident and the family member. And, and that's really why all of us uh, get up every morning with excitement to 
you know, I always say to, to make a difference and where are we going to make a difference in the lives that we touch and certainly the residents, the family members, but also our, our coworkers in every day as, as they need the education and communication that you and Peter have uh, highlighted so, so eloquently. As we wrap up, I just ask it just for a pause and then I'll make some closing comments, but any of you are on this call today and the podcast and you're hearing it, I wish there was just one little message I could leave the audience. Anybody have one last word of wisdom before we close out? I think it's important, Joel, that we always remember that we're people taking care of people. We're not people taking care of diseases, but we're people taking care of people. And and to Cammy's point, that heart and soul, that's that's where it really starts. The disease is what we do for the resident to give them a quality of life, but we have to remember the people. And that'd be my closing comment. Blake, I, I can't think of a better one, but uh, you're, you're with an esteemed group here. Anybody, uh, other, other comments? Yeah, Blake, I can't underscore that more, but I'd be remiss if I didn't make a brief comment about behaviors. And here's why. Families are deeply upset when their loved one with dementia begins to exhibit behaviors. But I think all of the programs we've talked about and the person-centered approach really speaks to how when we respond to individuals living with dementia, having a behavioral expression, we don't treat it as they're acting out or they're acting bad. We think of what are they trying to tell us, right? So one thing I would say is for families, for professionals listening to this, think of behavior in persons living with dementia as a form of expression and as a form of communication and respond to it in a person-centered way, right? Because again, people taking care of people, we all have a bad day once in a, in a while. So don't let those behaviors um, you know, throw you off track too much. Yeah, very, very good, Sharon. Cammie? I will jump in. It's something I begin the support group with is we're all on the same journey with dementia, but the walk is very different. So understanding the needs of families and reaching out for support. We are here to help. We're here to make those things successful and just helping at the core of that, that understanding and helping with that knowledge. Yeah, very, very good counsel. Okay. Well, as we close, I just once again want to thank each of you for participating, joining me for this panel and podcast this morning. And, and more importantly, it glows in, in your, your expression, your feedback, your comments, the passion that you have to, to serve seniors and the families that are in our communities. And you know, Blake says we're people serving people. I think you're very special people serving very special people. And I, I want to thank all of our listeners uh, today that joined us uh, for this. This wraps up week four, the month of June, on our speaker series and at LCS has, has had on each week. And, and I would just encourage the audience, don't hesitate. Dementia can be your friend. There are resources out there, and you should not hesitate to reach out. As Peter referenced, the Alzheimer's Association is a great resource. LCS is in 33, 34 states have memory care experts across the country, find one on the website, call us, we'd be happy to help. And hopefully we have some resources close to your home. So with that, I would like to close and thank you again, fellow panelists and to the audience. 
Uh, all of you have a great day. Thanks for being with us. Thanks to Joel, Sharon, Blake, Cami, and Peter for today's message, Living with Alzheimer's, a Life Care Services Experience. And thanks to our listeners. We look forward to having you back for our future podcasts here on Healthcare Highwire.